Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts. From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Jeff Leon. Tax professionals are human, and sometimes they misbehave. That's why Circular 230 exists. Circular 230 is the official IRS document that outlines the ethical rules that must be followed by anyone who practices before the agency. But wait, that word, practices. What exactly does that mean? Do these rules apply to just attorneys who represent clients before the IRS? Or to anyone who gives taxpayers advice? Or even anyone who files a return? Well, as it turns out, this is pretty unclear. And there are a lot of other aspects of Circular 230 that are equally unclear. Well, in, in reality, I think Circular 230 really effectively needs to be torn out by its roots and rebuilt from the ground up. That is Kip Dellinger, a senior tax partner at the Los Angeles area firm Cooper, Moss, Resnick, Klein & Company. He's been tracking this issue closely for years and even headed up an AICPA committee that worked on CPA professional responsibilities. He says the IRS rules, last updated in 2014, need to acknowledge how tax actually works in 2020. There are basically three elements of modern tax practice. There is giving advice to clients uh, that may, may be pre, uh, pre-preparation. In other words, it may be before the year-end type of advice. So I call that tax planning. And that could be one element where they address the, the requirements and standards of practice. The second one would be compliance, which is the actual return preparation activities. And the final one would be representation. Right now, Dellinger says the rules only pertain to that last category. There's a whole lot of legalese in Circuit 230 that is very hard to discern by non-attorney practitioners who were mostly involved in preparation and not representation before the Internal Revenue Service. And so in dealing with those compliance issues, you could probably frame them in a much more logical manner in terms of the 99%, not 99%, but let's say 90% of tax practice that occurs every day and doesn't involve attorneys. The issue has been made even more confusing by several court rulings that struck down key parts of these rules. One of those was the case of Sexton v. Hawkins, in which the IRS investigated a complaint against a tax preparer named James Sexton. Sexton was a tax attorney, but had been disbarred, and was now offering advice with preparing returns. One of his clients complained that he didn't inform her of the disbarment, and submitted the complaint to the IRS. And then Sexton says he got a letter in the mail. I actually didn't know what kicked this off until after, until the case was almost done. Uh, so one day I just got a letter from the from the IRS uh, entitled uh, Suspicion of Practitioner Misconduct. And it basically asked for uh, any document that I had touched with, you know, within the company pretty much produced ever to compile those documents. I mean, you'd almost have to close the business and dedicate your entire staff just to gathering these documents. It would have been a huge time uh, uh, and, and monetary cost to do that. And, um, and and I think the biggest problem for me was I didn't know why they were seeking it, right? Like the letter didn't say, you know, what the suspected misconduct did. It didn't tell me, you know, what I had done wrong, why they were requesting this. 
Sexton says he never misrepresented himself, but he challenged the IRS on the grounds that Circular 230 didn't apply to him since he was offering advice and helping with preparation and not practicing before the agency. See? There's that practicing word again. The IRS said its jurisdiction here couldn't be challenged in court. But in the end, the judge saw through it, and uh, I won on, on judgment on the pleadings, which is something that's pretty rare. I mean, it took me, I think, almost six years to get all the way through this case. Mm-hmm. Um, it cost a lot of money. It was, it was really stressful. It was yet another sign that Circular 230, as is currently written, simply isn't workable. Despite the ruling in the Sexton case, and Loving versus IRS and Ridgely versus Lou, the IRS still hasn't formally updated the document. But Sharon Fisk, the new head of the IRS Office of Professional Responsibility, said earlier this summer that a revamp of Circular 230 is high on her to-do list. There are also a few bills in Congress, such as the Taxpayer Protection and Prepare Proficiency Act, introduced last year, which aimed to address some of Circular 230's shortcomings. However, Dellinger, along with other tax pros, are not expecting Fisk's office to actually move with speed on this project. And I think that OPR is probably going to be a little bit patient about this and see what happens with these bills uh, that are sitting in Congress, because it's it's very possible that there could be they could be given authority to regulate all preparers, uh, you know, in that let's say in the next six to eight months. Karen Hawkins, one of Fisk's predecessors at OPR, put it this way when I spoke to her, saying, "Quote." Somebody needs to decide what they want Circular 230 to be when it grows up. End quote. That's it for this episode of Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, or really anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, Jeff Leon, and David Schultz. Kathy Larson is our editor. From Washington, I'm Jeff Leon. Thanks for listening. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, super fun, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater. That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Rebellion wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening.